scripture passage for today comes from the first letter of John, and we're going to be going to chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. Now, before we read that, let's pause for a moment in prayer. Good and wonderful Father, we thank you for all the good gifts that you have given us, Lord, and we thank you for this gift of your holy word. We thank you for the gift of the apostles and prophets, Lord, and the spirit that inspired these words, Lord, that they have been preserved down through the ages, Father, that we can open this book today and read and hear your voice in our hearts and be instructed by you. Father, we pray that the same spirit that inspired these words would inspire us again as we read, so we may hear, that we may understand, Lord, that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts, that we may know your good and perfect will for us. Bless this holy reading of your holy word, and may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is 1 John chapter 2, verses 18 to 27. Listen now to the word of the Lord. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might become plain that they all are not of us. But you have been anointed by the Holy One, and you have all knowledge. I write to you, not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it. And because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Son and the Father. And this is the promise that he made to us eternal life. I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about everything and is true and is no lie, just as he has taught you, abide in him. This is the word of the Lord, God. So I've been trying to, um, I don't know if you've noticed the signs lately, the, the big old sign we have up there. I mean, maybe you've ridden by it so many times you don't pay attention to it anymore, but I've been trying to change the sign every week now uh, to, to, to post the sermon title for the coming week. And these last few weeks that I've been up there feeling very exposed on my ladder as cars race by on Highway 1, I start to feel a little bit insecure because of what I'm putting on the sign. As you may have noticed, some of the titles have been, well, a little unorthodox for a church sermon title. I've been talking about zombies and vampires and werewolves and dragons, and I just know somebody's riding by, looking at that sign, thinking, what is up with these Presbyterians? I mean, I knew there was something not right about them, 
But what are they preaching about in there? About werewolves and zombies and monsters. You're not supposed to preach about monsters in church. And we're not preaching about monsters, okay? What I've been preaching about is heroes. About the hero that God is making us into. The heroic light that he's building in us. And part of the hero's life is sometimes he has to fight monsters. Sometimes she has to fight monsters. That's what heroes do. They overcome evil. They overcome enemies. They overcome the monsters that they face. And of all the monsters that any hero has to face, of all the evil that they have to face, there is no monster that is greater or more fearsome or more terrible than the dragon. The dragon is the ultimate monster that a hero has to face. There is nothing as dangerous as a dragon. Nothing is as fearful as the dragon. And the hero that faces him has to have all of the bravery and all of the strength that only the greatest heroes were able to face the dragon. Now, dragon stories have actually been part of Christian literature for a very, very long time. And one of my favorite dragon stories is, is of course, one of the earliest it's a guy called St. George, St. George and the Dragon. Y'all might be familiar with this story. Um, it's, a, it's a story that sometimes we hear taking place in England because England is the patron, uh, uh, George is the patron saint of England. But actually, the earliest story took place in a, in a place called Cappadocia, and that is in modern-day Turkey. And as the story goes, there was this city ruled by a king, and there was a, a lake nearby the city that, that gave birth to this awful dragon, this giant fearful beast. And it ravaged the countryside. It was tearing up farms and killing people and destroying the city. And the only way that they found that they could appease the dragon was to feed it people. And so the king instituted this lottery. They would draw a name and whoever's name got popped up would have to like, uh, like once a month go get marched out to this post by the lake and tied up then the dragon would rise up and he would eat the person and it leave the city alone for about a month well as it happened one day the king drew the name and it was his own daughter's name it was the princess and the king cried and he mourned and he begged the people to pick someone else not to make him take his own daughter to be fed by the dragon but the people said you have fed our children time and again now, sir, it is time for yours. And so the king wept, but he ordered his soldiers to go take his daughter out there, and he tied her to the post, and he went into the city to mourn the death of his child. But as luck would have it, or providence, rather, a brave knight came riding by. It's George. And he saw this beautiful woman tied to a post and crying, and George asked her what was the matter, and she begged him to flee. She said, Sir, I see you're a noble man. But a great dragon's about to rise up and consume me. You just run for your life. Just let it be me instead. Well, St. George was a noble knight, and noble knights, they do nothing else. They save damsels in distress. Am I right? And so he girded himself with his armor, took out his sword and his shield. And as the dragon rose up out of the lake, he had a good old-fashioned dragon fight. And it was this terrible fight. The dragon with his sharp teeth and claws, and it raged all over. But finally, St. George was victorious cut off the dragon's head and he saved the princess and of course out of gratitude the king said because you've saved the princess i will give her to you as your wife and of course they lived happily happily ever after 
G.K. Chesterton talked about stories like this and other fairy tales as being very important stories because they teach us very important lessons. Even they're so full of fanciful ideas and magical creatures that we don't, don't really exist or maybe think don't really exist. They actually teach us a very important lesson. The dragon story, for instance, Chesterton said, teaches us a very, very important lesson. And the lesson of the dragon story is not that dragons exist. The lesson we learn from this story is that dragons can be slain. Now, the dragon story has been part of Christian literature for a very long time. In fact, we have dragon stories in the Bible. Do you know that? There's a dragon story in the Bible. We get it in the book of Revelation, chapter 12, which not coincidentally was also written by the, uh, the same author that we read today, the Apostle John. He wrote this letter we read today, and he also wrote the book of Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 12, he talks about this awful menacing dragon that also chases a woman and this is a, a, a symbolic book revelation is and the woman i believe is a representation of the church and the dragon chases this woman and it chases her offspring and makes war on them and later we see the dragon in heaven having a war with with michael and all of his angels and the dragon we're told by revelation is satan that's who this dragon is his his, his identity is no mystery it is Satan himself, and he is, he, he's thrown down to earth to make war with the church and with all the saints and all those who believe in Jesus Christ. And at the last age, he will call up an agent that we know is the beast to fight against the church. You also might know this beast as another name. We call him Antichrist as well. And the dragon, or Satan, gives all of his power to the Antichrist. And this Antichrist stands against everything that Jesus stands for. And he rises up as a great deceiver. He leads people astray and he persecutes the people of God. And in all the universe, he is the greatest enemy of the church. To beat this Antichrist, we have to slay the dragon. That's what John warns us about today. He warns us about Antichrist. He says, watch out for the Antichrist. The Antichrist is coming. And if that's not scary enough to think that this Antichrist, this beast with all the power of the dragon is going to rise up and one day hunt down and persecute the church and hunt for the people of God. Okay, that's pretty scary. That's enough to give anybody nightmares. But that's not scary enough. He tells us actually that there's many Antichrists. And some of these antichrists have already come, and they're already in the world, and they're already walking amongst us. So if it's not bad enough that one day that we have to face off with this one great awful dragon, we've got lots smaller dragons already moving among us. And these smaller dragons are hunting us, they're after us, they're doing the work of the great dragon their small a antichrist waiting for the big a antichrist to come and start a war against the church. It's quite daunting and fearful to think that we have so great an enemy. We have so powerful an enemy that hunts after us. And I know what a lot of you are thinking. I'm no St. George. I can't kill a dragon. I'm just a regular person. 
I've got a nine-to-five job. I've got a wife and kids. I've got a, I've got a bad back and arthritis in my hands, and, and my eyes aren't doing so great these days. Maybe when I was younger. But I'm no dragon slayer. That's why it's important to remember the lessons that we learn from fairy tales. Not that dragons exist, but that dragons can be slain. And then John tells us here exactly who this Antichrist is. He says in verse 22, Who is the liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. Now normally if I were to talk about like the, the beast or Antichrist, we would think of like some big cult figure, you know, like a, like a Jim Jones or a David Koresh or, or someone who, who parades around and pretends that they are the Christ or they stand in the place of Christ and that they are the Messiah and you should follow me and, you know, and I'm the one that's going to save you. And that is true for, for big capital A Antichrist. But as John says here today, Antichrist is one who denies Jesus is the Christ. The one that denies that Jesus is the anointed of God. The one that denies that Jesus is the Savior. That he is the one Lord that we should follow and the love and be loyal to. This is the Antichrist. And the spirit of the Antichrist is the spirit that denies that Jesus is the Christ. Because this is the work of Satan. This is the work of the enemy, the work of the dragon, and all the Antichrist. They make wars with the church and with all the saints because they hate the name of Christ. They hate the followers of Christ. They hate anybody that knows Jesus as the Christ. And the work of Antichrist is to undermine belief and faith in Jesus as the Christ. Look at what he says in in, uh, verse 26. He says, I write these things to you about those who are trying to deceive you. See, John's warning us that there are out, people out there trying to deceive us, trying to trick us. And that's the work of the enemy. That if there's any big work that Satan has out there to do, the great dragon and all his antichrist with him, is to keep you from knowing Jesus as Christ. To keep you from knowing Jesus as Christ and to get you to follow some other Christ. Any other Christ. It doesn't matter. He doesn't care which one you follow as long as you're not following the one that we know is Jesus. As long as you're not following the Christ, they don't care who you proclaim as your Savior. They don't care what philosophy you go after, what religion you go after, what kind of cult you immerse yourself in. doesn't matter to the enemy as long as you don't know Jesus as the Christ. See, there's this misconception about the enemy, about the Satan, the devil, demons, however you want to, to, to believe in that, personify that. There's this misconception that the whole work of the evil and the evil one is to hurt you and to bring you harm, to get you sick or, or to lose all your money, you know, or, 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 or to be depressed, or, or they're whispering in your ear to try to get you to do evil things. And yeah, all of that might be true, but that's not the goal. That's not the goal at all. The goal is not to hurt you or to, or to make you broke or even to get you to do bad things. The goal is to get you not to trust in Jesus as the Christ. The goal is to try to break your faith. That's the goal of the enemy. Is he wants your faith broken. 
He wants to steal your faith in Christ. He wants to destroy your hope. To leave you despairing and hopeless and believing in anybody or anything else other than Jesus. We hear Jesus saying this to, to, to Peter in Luke twenty two thirty two, 32, as he's warning Peter about the trials to come. He says, Satan has wanted to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed that you would keep your faith. See, what Jesus is saying here is that what Satan is trying to do is to take Peter's faith from him. So Jesus is praying that Peter keeps his faith and therefore is not being sifted like wheat as Satan wants to do. Now, Satan could use pain and poverty and get you to do bad things in order for you to break your faith. And that's works. If that was what works, he'll use that too. But he's not above using other things. If pleasure will undermine your faith, he will use pleasure. If comfort will undermine your faith, he will use comfort. If wealth will undermine your faith, he will use wealth. He can even use your virtue to try to get you to undermine your faith in Jesus Christ. It's a very simple and dangerous thing. He starts telling you, getting you to think that, you know what? I'm a pretty good person. I think I can do this on my own. I don't need this Jesus figure. I don't need a Christ because I am a good person on my own. Whatever the enemy can do, whatever the enemy can use to break your faith, he will use it. He will use peer pressure. He will use your vanity. He will use pride. He will use fear. He will use insecurity. Any weakness or any strength you have will use to try to break your faith in Jesus as the Christ. He will use your family. He will use your friends. He will use your own sense of your own intelligence to try to undermine your faith in Jesus Christ. This is the work of the Antichrist. This is the work, we say, is the work of the dragon. It's fearful to think of that. Great power out there that wants to take from us what is most valuable, and here we are, just regular people. We can't stand up to dragons. That's why the fairy tale is so important. It teaches us not that dragons exist, but that dragons can be slain. So, how can we do that? How do we, regular people like us, fight against an antichrist? How do we, regular, small, normal people, stand up to the power and might of the dragon? Well, it turns out the very thing that the antichrist is trying to take from us is the same thing that overcomes him. That's your faith. It is your faith that overcomes the Antichrist. It is your faith that overcomes the enemy. It is your faith that also, yes, can slay the dragon. Look what John tells us in verse 24 and 5. Let what you heard from the beginning abide in you. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, then you too will abide in the Father and in the Son. And in this is the promise he made to us, eternal life. See, the greatest weapon that you have it's the same thing the Antichrist is out to destroy. And that's your faith. And that's your faith. And it's no wonder he's trying to destroy it because he knows that is the one thing that will destroy him. 
That is the one weapon that he can't stand against. That is the one weapon that will conquer him. That is the sword in the hand of St. George or anyone else with faith in Jesus Christ. It is your faith in him that will overcome. Jesus said that, I mean, your faith can move mountains. That's how powerful your faith is. It can move mountains. Jesus said it can do anything. Of course, it can slay dragons too. So what would he want to undermine more in your life than the very weapon that can destroy him? Your faith and your confession in Jesus as the Christ. See, it's no secret. It's no great trick. I mean, God wouldn't take something this important and make it obscure or difficult or, or hard to understand. Anyone can do this. You don't have to be a genius to have faith. Anyone can take hold of this. Anybody can miss it, too. To overcome Antichrist, you don't have to preach great sermons or go out there and save a bunch of souls or, or give everything away you have and live in poverty or go halfway across the world to missions in some foreign and dangerous place. To over overcome Antichrist, the only thing you have to do is hold to the gospel that you were given. So what John says, if the message that we gave to you abides in you, then you will abide in the Father and you will abide in the Son. If this message you originally received is in you, then you will overcome. It is not in your strength, it is not in your intelligence, not in your knowledge, not in your virtue, it's not even in your holiness that you will overcome that you hold fast to the gospel that was preached to you. It's that you hold fast to the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This is what overcomes Antichrist. This is the power to slay the dragon, that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that you believe that he was born of woman but lived a perfect life here on earth, that you believe that he was crucified and he died for our sins. That you believe that he was raised again on the third day to new life. That you believe that by faith and grace we are given the forgiveness of our sins. And we also are given eternal life in Christ Jesus. Hold fast to this gospel. Hold fast to this message. To this truth that was given to you. That was given to the apostles of the G, to, by Jesus and the apostles to all the world and come in a direct line to each and every one of us. An unbroken line of testimony that reaches all the way back in history to one of those first apostles that preached this original gospel. This, this is the power to slay dragons. Now I know some of you are still thinking might not be up to fighting Antichrist. I mean, after all, the story has St. George killing the dragon. He's a great knight, and I don't know, I'm not a great knight. You may be thinking the same about yourself. But you know, there's early stories where the dragon slayer was not a knight at all. In fact, there are many early legends where there are stories of a dragon slayer where the dragon slayer is actually a young girl. St. Margaret, St. Martha, both stories of women who slayed dragons. Now, you know, it might be a little, sound a little sexist for me to say, even women can slay dragons, okay? 
But I'm not trying to be sexist. I'm just, these are medieval legends, okay? And in medieval legends, women didn't slay dragons, okay? Women were about to get eaten by dragons. They were saved by men. That's just the way the medieval legends were, except all of them weren't. Because in the medieval legends, the women slayed the dragons too. There's a great story of uh, St. Margaret, an early Christian martyr. There was a Roman leader that wanted to take her as his wife, but he wanted her to reject her Christian faith first. And he was brutal with her. I mean, beat her and she was tortured all the time trying to get her to reject Jesus as her Christ. But Margaret would not relent. And he threw her into a prison. And as Margaret is there, just her body broken and beaten, she prayed that God would reveal to her the true nature of her, her true enemy that she was against. And in the cell of her prison materialized this great and terrible dragon. And St. Margaret prayed, made the sign of the cross, and the dragon was defeated. You see, we all have a dragon slayer in us. The book of Ephesians tells us that our fight is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of spiritual darkness. You see, the enemy's not one we can see, even if it's a Roman official that's trying to torture us to death. Our real enemy is the spirit, spiritual forces of darkness. And because of that, our weapons are not swords, our weapons are not guns. There are weapons, it's the power of our faith, the power of your faith is your belief in Jesus, not just as the Christ but as your Christ. And you believe in Jesus as your Savior, as your Deliverer, as your hope, as your peace, as your blessing, as your life. When we face the dragons, however they appear, this is the only power that will overcome. Now, don't get me wrong. The point of the sermon here is not to try to convince you that dragons exist. I just want you to know, dragons can be slain. To God be all the glory forever and ever. Amen.